Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to day 30. Yep, the end of the line. We finally made it of the CPNT show Black Music Month 30 series. I'm, of course, your host, Chris Stevens. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the series so far. If this is your first time listening, you got a lot to catch up on. June is Black Music Month. Of course, there are 30 days in June, and this is the last day of June. Every day this month, I've been recording and talking about an album that helped shape my musical taste, albums that I feel are critical or key to an artist's development, or albums that might have just fallen under the radar from an artist that was known or unknown. And I have to say that this has been the biggest challenge for me to put together 30 podcasts, make them no longer than 15 minutes. Of course, a few went over, but not by a lot, maybe like an extra two or three minutes here and there, but mostly sticking within the format that I asked suggestions for and people gave back to me. So the people that suggested that I do a podcast 10 or 15 minutes long, thank you very much. It was greatly appreciated. And that was the formula that I chose. And it took a lot. Like, I have a day job. I still exercise regularly. I still have another podcast, which I contracted to do. If you want to hear me talk about sports, go to thecrossover.newpodcity.com. Shout out to my New Pod City fam. And it's been a blast. I've had fun talking about music for every day in this month. And I'm going to take a break from the CPNT show for a little bit, maybe a week. I mean, obviously, next week is 4th of July, so it makes it easier to just call that a holiday week and then get right back into the nuts and bolts of life, dating politics and all of that good stuff but these 30 days have been it's been a challenge but it's been a challenge that I've accepted that I feel lucky to share with you all and if you haven't listened to any episodes yet you can binge them all in one day because 15 minutes per episode for 30 episodes is like a full day at work so you can ignore your co-workers and listen to me talk about music all day sounds like fun right anyway let's hop into this last album and this is one of those albums that I mentioned before that you know, when you grow up in your parents' house, you're forced to listen to everything they listen to, especially on road trips. And this was a road trip album in fourth or fifth grade that introduced me to what I feel is one of the greatest female voices of all time. Had to listen to this with my mom and my grandmother while we were going to visit relatives on the Eastern Shore. And this album is one of those albums that just never left my mind. And it is from the late, great Phyllis Hyman, and it is the prime of my life. Of course, Problem My Life was the last album Phyllis Hyman released while she was alive, in fact. This album is her second with Philadelphia International. We've talked about Philadelphia International in the past. By the time Phyllis got to Philly International in 1985, the heyday was over. You know, Teddy Pendergrass had had his car accident. The OJs weren't hitting. All the other artists had bowed out. So Philly International was pretty much a boutique label by the time Phyllis came along in 1985. She... Got her walking papers from Arista, which either by hook or crook she secured, signed with Kenny Gamble, and released Living All Alone in 1986. And that was sort of a comeback album for her, but it still didn't bring her the pop success that people thought was due to Phyllis, because Phyllis Hyman is one of the greatest singers to ever live. She got a huge boost when Spike Lee asked her to be in school days, and that sort of built her up. And she was on a lot of, she was on a bit of a PR tour in those days, talking about what went wrong at Arista, and of course, the common denominator in anything that goes wrong at Arista is Clive Davis. And Clive Davis, don't get me wrong, one of the greatest music moguls of all time. As I said before in the Breakwater episode, when he missed, he missed. And he absolutely missed on Phyllis. Like, Phyllis 
And I think it was because people tried to make a competition between Phyllis and Angie Bofield. And Angela Bofield, to her credit, has said there was never any beef. There was never any harsh competition that she loved Phyllis and that she believed Phyllis loved her. That's just um, another nasty bit of the music business that we don't talk that much about is that people trying to pit one against the other when there's really no need that everybody can enjoy the same person or um, the artists that are being forced to compete can have successful lanes alongside each other instead of going head to head. So, yeah. When Phyllis got to uh, Philly International in 85, Living All Alone was a really good album. Didn't do as well as people thought it should. Then she took a break during school days and, you know, all that stuff. And then comes back around June of 91, Prime of My Life. And that album, my mother wore out. Literally. Cassettes. 12 inches. CDs. You name it. My mother had it. And listening to that, going from Wilmington, Delaware to... Chestertown and Millington, Maryland, which wasn't an easy drive in those days. There were, for, for my Delaware people, there was, remember when there was no Route 1? That you had to get on 13 and go across 299 all day, every day to get to the Eastern Shore? Or just go straight down 13 if you were going to like Salisbury? Like go all the way through Delaware? Yeah. That was a long drive in those days. <laughs> and having to listen to Phyllis Hyman at 10 years old when you would rather be listening to LL Cool J or Jodeci or TLC or whatever. It was like, man, I can't stand this, but I can't say anything. But eventually the album grew on me. Prime of My Life is a prime example of a singer who gets the right material because there is not a miss on this entire album. Starts off with when you get right down to it. Most of this album is co-produced by Nick Martinelli and uh, Kenny Gamble, of course, and Nick produced the bulk of the songs, even though Kenny was like the executive producer, because of course he was still running Philly International at this point. He still did some writing and producing. When you get right down to it, there's a song about how love just isn't the same anymore, and you probably need to leave this person. And the song that finally gave Phyllis Hyman 20 years into her singing career and 15 years into her solo career, her first number one, Don't Want to Change the World, I don't know if you'd call that a Phyllis Hyman song, honestly. It kind of feels like Gourmet New Jack Swing, but it's fun. I mean, it's danceable, and Phyllis liked to dance. I mean, you know, one of her first biggest hits was You Know How to Love Me, which um, was one of the last great disco songs in 1979. So it's not like Phyllis wasn't acclimated to the dance floor, but she was a torch singer. She was a ballad singer. She was a jazz singer. That's the way the music business is. You know, you find your niche where you can and don't want to change the world with Phyllis rapping, mind you. Phyllis has a verse on this, and it's actually a really good verse. (laughs) So... The person that wrote the song for her, I guess it was Karen Mano, Jonathan Rosen, and David Darlington, whichever one of those three wrote that verse for her, came through big time because that was a fun little song, even though it wasn't what I would consider a Phyllis Hyman song. Still, it went to number one in September of 91, the only number one of Phyllis's esteemed career. Then comes the title track. I'm in the prime of my life, and there's nothing I can't do. Moving mountains, standing in my way. That was a song for women who were looking to move out of situations. And I think that's probably why I connected with my mother so much. Because, you know, she had been just named executive director of her job at this time, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I was 10 years old when my mom got promoted. Because she was a secretary and an associate for the longest time at her job. And then they elevated her to executive director. And it was a celebration. Like, a black woman was running a social service firm. And I think that's why Proud of My Life connected with my mom so much, because 
she was ra- she was successfully raising kids. You know, me and my sister were were doing good in school. You know, she had this career, and she was a single black woman doing it. You know, my father wasn't around. My father wasn't around very much, and he died when I was 18 years old. So my mother did this by herself. So probably my life connected with my mom in a way that I didn't understand at the time. But now that I'm older and have experienced life and then looking back on things, it was like, ah, I get it now. So, yeah, problem of my life. It is the it's the mission statement for black women who were taking their lives back and moving up in the world. At least that's what it represented to my mother, I feel. It's a perfect title track because Phyllis was 41, 42 when that album was released. Was very much looking forward to critical success and commercial success, even though Critical success came, commercial success, and the pop stuff eluded her until her last days. Still, Problem of My Life was a perfect title track. Because you listen to it and you just feel motivated, you feel elevated, you feel inspired. And that's what that song represented for so many black women in the Delaware Valley at that time. My favorite song on the album, though. If you really want to hear me sing, like, seriously, I don't even want to sing on this podcast. Because whenever I hear this song, I have to take it seriously because it's a relatable song to me. When I Give My Love This Time, written by Kenny Gamble and Roland Chambers, who was a part of MFSB for many a year. And that song just resonates for people with romantic spirits who have been through relationships that haven't worked out and have decided that the next time that they love, they're going to do things so much differently. And that's something we all can resolve to because there are times when we have been through relationships that or situations that just have not been good for us and have burned us to a degree, when it comes to relationships, and it's like, I have this love to give, but when I do this time, it's going to be different, because I'm absolutely going to follow a different set of rules, the person I'm with is going to understand that this is how I expect to be treated, this is how they can expect me to treat them, this is what love is going to be this time, when I give my love this time, I'm going to think it through and be more sure, when I give my love this time, I'm going to take my time and give it all I got for sure, just a beautiful song, man, like, I, like I said, I like I said, I have to take it seriously. And I'm not very much of a singer, but I really want to that song makes me wish that I had the vocals. Because you would never get you would never hear the end of me covering that song anywhere. Ever. Like if I was a performer or a musician with a voice, when I get my love this time would be my closer. Absolutely would be my closer if I was in concert. Then of course, there's still some heartbreak on the album. You know, there's I can't take it anymore, and this is about Phyllis just wanting to leave this guy alone after all the stuff he's put her through. And then there's probably the song that marked Phyllis's depression and bipolar disorder. I won't say marked it, but summarized it succinctly. Living in confusion. Seems like I'm always going through changes. Living in confusion. Definitely can relate to that. With my own mental health challenges and finally... Getting in therapy, I need again, I need to get back in therapy. But these are the emotions that you deal with, you know, with relationships, with with work stuff, with professional stuff, with life in general. Changes can have you confused about everything that you thought you knew about people, about jobs, about this life, about society. And you just find yourself like, yo, there's just too much change going on. Like, this is really fucking my head up. And that probably was the perfect song for Phyllis because... And Phyllis had a co-writing credit on this, so obviously the music resonated with her and whatever Kenny brought to her, she felt comfortable building on. And that's where Living in Confusion comes from. Then, of course, there is the Torch song of all Torch songs, Meet Me on the Moon. That should have been the song that pushed Phyllis Hyman off into the stratosphere. Like, literally, just literally took her off like a rocket. Like, 
Phyllis should have been getting all the Today shows, the Good Morning America's off of Meet Me on the Moon. Meet Me on the Moon is probably my favorite Phyllis vocal. And it's a beautiful song about someone that you love so much that they take you to a higher place. I am so sure that we were meant to be sharing this love we share. I'm going to listen to that once I finish recording this. Because that song just, its again, it's in the same vein of when I give my love this time. Like, I felt comfortable singing Meet Me on the Moon because I don't take Meet Me on the Moon seriously because that song is meant to be, you know, just felt. But when I give my love this time, it's meant to be lived. And you have to sing it a way, a certain way to live it when I give my love this time. But Meet Me on the Moon, but Meet Me on the Moon, you can have a little fun with because it's a beautiful song. Once again, the pop success eluded Phyllis as this album did not even crack. The Billboard Top 100, it, its peak position was 117. It finished top 10 on the R&B charts, which is really good. And for 91 and 92, it went from the 49th album at the year end of R&B to the 36th. So Phyllis had a top 40 album. But what we learned over time through biographies and conversations and different things about Phyllis is that depression is a monster. And... June 30th, fittingly enough, or unfittingly, is the day that Phyllis chose to uh, end things. And suicide or, you know, ending your life on your terms is something that people in different stages of life don't understand because depression hurts, man. Like, feeling like you'll never be good enough for anyone, feeling like the things you want are never going to be yours, whether it be personal, professional, money, it can all wear you down. Wearing you down and, and being worn down, there's no shame in it. Being depressed, there's no shame in it. And while people hold on to that archaic religious belief that if you commit suicide, then you'll never have eternal life or anything like that, we don't know that for sure. We don't know that for sure. There's no one that can tell us that if you end your life, that you know that you're that that you're not gonna you know be in the spirit world. There's no proof of that, and I don't think there is proof of that. And I'm not saying, and I'm not a suicide advocate. Don't get me wrong. I have dealt with depression and suicide ideation throughout my life. But I've always found a way to want to still be here. Not everybody can. And that's okay. Because life hurts, man. This shit is tough. And it was tough on someone as beautiful and talented and as warm and giving of herself as Phyllis Hyman was. So what do us regular people have a chance at this shit? Think about that the next time you judge somebody that has, you know, chosen to end their life. Life is not easy. It's painful. It's torturous. There are some things about it and the way the world is going. There's going to be more things about it that make it difficult to get out of bed every day. So we can't judge those folks, man. And I'm definitely not judging Phyllis Hyman because everything that she went through throughout her career, because the music business messes everybody up. But the way it messed Phyllis up is just one of those things that. It was, this, it was true with Donny Hathaway. It was true with Phyllis. It was true with a few others. It's true with anybody, man. Life can be too much to bear sometimes that you feel like there is no other way out. And while that sucks, that's their choice. And you can't judge people for the choices they make. People are only doing what they feel is right at the time. Phyllis Hyman on June 30th, 1995, felt what she did was right at the time. And we don't know where she is right now. But I, I firmly believe she's out there somewhere. Like, she is at peace. She's still singing, but she's finally at peace. And that will do it for the entire Black Month 
Music 30 series here on the Chris Pies and Things podcast. Had a blast doing this. Thank y'all for listening to me. If you missed any of the previous episodes, go to anchor.fm forward slash C-H-R-I-S P-O-D, the letter N-T-H-A-N-G-S. Look for that as a sentence on Spotify, Chris Pods and Things. Subscribe to us there. And once I take a week off and come back to it, I'll be back to talking about dating, relationships, politics, the world in general, and probably more music stuff. But thank y'all for listening. Till the next time we speak, y'all be good or be good at it.